captain's logs. Han Solo. I'm captain of the Millennium Falcon. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the Federation Starship Enterprise. Listening to Captain's Logs and Lightsabers, part of the Geek News Now podcast network. Hey, welcome to episode 15 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. We're a podcast that discusses both Star Wars and Star Trek in the same show. My name is Jonathan. I'm just one of the hosts of the show. With me, as always, is my co-host and friend Chris. How you been since we talked the last time, Chris? Hey, Jonathan, it's good to be back here talking with you, talking about Star Trek and Star Wars. Uh, I've been doing really, really well, uh, enjoying the, the what Star Wars has been bringing us and some of the new stuff from Picard. So I'm itching to talk to you about a lot of different things today. Yeah, absolutely. I am, too. Uh, it's a great time to be a fan of both franchises. We've got a lot coming. We've got a lot that we already have. We've got a lot on the horizon. It's going to be incredible. So without further ado... Uh, We'll kind of go over what the the episode today is going to be about. So we'll be discussing a few small news items, including one that just broke yesterday at the time of us recording. Uh, And we'll be discussing a trailer for, you know, this little indie show that you might know about called Star Wars Obi-Wan Kenobi. I don't know. It comes to Disney Plus in May, May 25th, something like that. I don't know. You might have heard of it. You might not have. Uh, (laughs) I know it's news to me. (laughs) Um, And then our main topic for the show will be to discuss both the finale of the book of Boba Fett, as well as the first two episodes of Star Trek Picard. But before we dive into any of that, it's time for uh, the return of a a news segment that we kind of started with our last episode called How Did You Geek This Week? Uh, This time, Chris and I are both going to be discussing the same thing because we both had a chance to see the latest and greatest uh, movie in the storied Batman film franchise called The Batman. So uh, without further ado, what did you think of The Batman? I thought it was really interesting. Um, First of all, the fact that it was a three-hour movie made for a really nice long narrative and some really interesting character dynamics. The The part that was my favorite was the Riddler. It was certainly a different take on the character than I've ever seen before. Very mm-hmm. dark. He reminded me a lot of a, a one of the serial killers. I think the Zodiac. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Just with the symbolism and the puzzles. You've never really seen that in, in the stuff with the Riddler and, and other shows. He's always sent riddles to Batman to, to get under his skin. But this time there was a lot of puzzle work that seemed to be brought into it. Definitely very deranged sociopath. Um, I'm hoping that someday if they do some sort of sequel that we get to see a little bit more of him, kind of get some history on him. He was just a very well-fleshed-out character. Uh, Robert Pattinson really surprised me as Batman. I didn't think that he was going to to be really good. I thought I was just going to keep seeing the character from Harry Potter. I can't remember what his name was. Cedric Diggory. Cedric Diggory. That's it. So I thought every time I saw him that that's all I was going to see. But he actually played the character very, very well. Very, very dark. Very, very disturbed, which is typical Batman. Um, I did... I did not like him as Bruce Wayne. He kind of came off to me as like a 20-year-old emo or goth kind of character with the hair kind of hanging in his face. It just He didn't fit as that millionaire Bruce Wayne who's usually very dapper and has the pretty girl on his arm. You know, it just, it just, it was a weirder take for me. It, it just didn't seem to fit, but his portrayal of Batman, I thought he did a very good job in. He had really good chemistry with uh, the, the late, was it Zoe Kravitz who played Catwoman? Mm-hmm. She was a very interesting character as well. Um, and her being tied to the mob bosses, his daughter, what was his name? Carmine Falcone? Yes. Yes. That I wasn't expecting. I didn't think that was going to be part of the story. I don't know if that's part of the actual character background or not, but uh, that was, that was an interesting surprise. Right. Colin Farrell did a great job as the penguin. I didn't even know that was him. The, the, the makeup exactly. was so, yeah. you know, it was done so well that it, and, and his acting was just different from what I've seen him do in other projects. He just, he just brought a nice little, just a nice spin on the character. Um, he, he did kind of remind me of the penguin from Gotham, but just darker. 
Now, Gotham is a show that I have not seen yet, and I want to. It's on mm-hmm. my list, but I, I've heard that it is a phenomenal kind of uh, deconstruction of uh, of Batman. So I, I definitely yes. want to check it out. Um, not to kind of really cut you off with that, but mm-hmm. I, I just wanted to kind of say that I was I was thinking you were going to call out uh, that you were going to call out Robert Pattinson for his stuff in Twilight, not Harry Potter. So uh, kudos to you for for not taking the uh, the low hanging fruit there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'll be honest with you. I've never seen the Twilight movies. Yeah, never had an interest. You're not missing much. Don't worry about it. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Uh, but I see. Here's here's where I went into it. Um, I see Robert Pattinson's portrayal of the Batman as the his true persona is the Batman. He is the Batman. Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne is the mask that he wears. Uh, That's interesting. And and he hasn't had time to develop the the Bruce Wayne persona. You f- you figure he is only in his second year as Batman in this right. movie. Uh, and he spends the vast majority of his time not as Bruce Wayne, but as Batman fighting crime in the streets of Gotham. That's why people don't see him. That's why he has the reputation of being uh, an orphan who uh, hides from the world. It's because he's not yet figured out how to wear his Bruce Wayne mask yet. Okay. And that was the portrayal that I saw in his performance. And And the movie supports that because... You figure the 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 number of times that we actually see Bruce Wayne in the Batman is vastly outweighed in screen time by the period by the amount of time that the Batman is actually on screen. Right, like this is the first true Batman movie. It's not. Uh, it, it didn't. It focused, you know, on him and on his. Uh, attempts to unravel this riddle uh, and and the mystery behind why all these killings are happening, why and and the fact that it turned out to be a story of two orphans from completely different backgrounds clashing against one another was, I thought it was a beautiful take. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was certainly different than what we've seen in any of the other Batman movies. And you're absolutely right. Thinking back to it, we did see him a lot more as Batman in the movie, and he seemed more comfortable in that persona. Uh, I mean, even just he even thinking back on his portrayal of Bruce Wayne, he didn't even give eye contact to people half the time. He just seemed so uncomfortable in his own skin in that in those those scenes. Mm -hmm. But when he was Batman, he just seemed like he was himself. There you go. You just proved. Yeah. You proved yeah, exactly I agree what with I was you. saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right. <laughs> so anyway, that's enough discussion of the Batman. This is not the Batman uh, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but if you haven't had a chance to see it yet, if you have reservations about Robert Pattinson as Batman or Bruce Wayne or, or anything, uh, and, and you don't mind sitting down to watch a three-hour movie. Go to the theater and check it out. It's still going to be in theaters. And there's also a rumor that it's going to hit HBO Max uh, at the middle of April. So if uh, you don't want to spend the the money or you're still uncomfortable going to a theater, just wait about a month and, and it'll be available on HBO Max. So, But it's definitely worth your time, definitely worth checking out, uh, even if you have to break it up in, in two sessions because it is a little mm-hmm. movie. Move the ship out of the asteroid field so that we can send a clear transmission. Captain. Incoming message. Come closer, I have good news. So we're going to deal with the elephant in the room, the news that just broke uh, on uh, Tuesday, March 15th, that uh, in Strange New Worlds, we're going to get uh, we're going to get the the presence of one James T. Kirk, and he's going to be played by uh, Paul Wesley, who some people might be familiar with uh, his uh, his role as um, uh, one of the Salvatore vampires in the Vampire Diaries and the originals on the CW. Uh, aside from that, I haven't seen him in anything else. What are your thoughts on the casting of Paul Wesley, Chris? I think he looks good for the part. It's going to be very cool to see yet a a third take on Captain Kirk after William Shatner and Chris Pine. I certainly have no concerns about him coming onto the show at all, as long as they do it within what's been established. 
CBS has been very, very adamant that Discovery, Strange New World, all of these new Star Trek shows all take place in the prime timeline. So if they're if that's the case and they're doing the prime timeline, they it's important that they stick to what's come. Uh, that's what helps build a, a, a rich world. And that's the only thing I'm concerned about is that they're just going to bring the character in and it's not going to fit with where he's supposed to be in the timeline. And then once again, we're going to have this big mess of, well, one show said this, but now this is saying this. For example, in the Menagerie in the original series, uh, Captain Kirk was asked by Commodore Mendez, have you ever met Captain Pike? And Captain Kirk says, I met him when he was promoted to fleet captain. And that was it. Uh, So... If he starts, if he meets him at this point, now that con- completely contradicts what's gone on. Now, some people are actually saying that maybe there's an in canon explanation for this. That maybe this is a time travel story, something to that effect. You know, yeah, maybe that maybe it is. I mean, we'll see. I, and I would I would be okay maybe just kind of letting it go. It was one line of dialogue in the menagerie. I would prefer that they stick with that, but if they make it work and maybe maybe Kirk was just kind of generalizing when he met him in, in the menagerie, maybe it won't be so bad. But that that I just that's one thing that's really worried me with with new Trek is that there seems to be a disconnect with kind of what's come before, especially in discovery. It just feels more like, Oh, we're just, you know, we're just going to let this go. It's no big deal. It's, this is a new era and TOS doesn't seem to matter. And me as being a long-term star Trek fan, it does matter to me. And it matters to a lot of other people, even though we get called gatekeepers, you know, so the casting itself, I'm I'm not worried about that. And if they can make Kirk fit into the story, I have no problem with that. I just I'm just hoping that they do it right. The other rumor that I'm concerned about is is that they're going to change the dynamic of Kirk and and rewrite the character as something different. They talked about the Kirk slash Spock in slash fanzines back going back to the 70s. I think it's been it's very clear that. Kirk was always a ladies' man. Um, he was a straight character. I don't mind having any LGBT characters in Star Trek. It, there's there, that representation. I don't have a problem with that. But don't rewrite an existing character into something that he wasn't before. Now, a lot of people have said, oh, okay, well, they never specifically said he, he, was, he wasn't bisexual. But they never said that he was either. So you want to have LGBT characters? I'm fine with that. Great, but don't reinvent Kirk 55 years later and say it's something different just to satisfy the niche of a small group of people who are hoping to see that. That's just my opinion. I don't know what your thoughts are. Uh, I hadn't heard any of these rumors, so I don't know how to process it right now. I mean, Mm -hmm. one thing that I will say is nice, and this is me a straight white dude with privilege. I mean, I am not saying that I have the the same, uh, you know, life story as, as someone who is is among the LGBTQ community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I I do appreciate seeing that representation in uh, sure. in, in TV now. Right? But yeah, it, it's it trying to rewrite a character just to fit. Um, uh, a, 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 an agenda. Is that, is that mm-hmm. the right word? I don't know. I don't want to get canceled here, but I, I wouldn't I'm, even I'm struggling in the words to say, don't right. change I don't... something just for the sake of changing it to, right. to feel like you're, uh, trying to check off boxes. Right. No, and I agree with you. Like, I agree with you completely. I have no problem with you with representation. I mean, LGBT people, LGBT people exist in our world. And they're going to exist going into the future. Yeah, I have no problem with that at all. It's I just don't want them changing existing characters just to fit. It's not even an agenda per se. It's more of like from what I've read about it on Facebook and Twitter, it's more like just a niche group of people that have always had fantasies of seeing Kirk and Spock together, you know, and I'm worried that they're just going to do that just to satisfy that little niche at the sake of changing this character who's been an icon for over half a century, you know, that that's my only concern, Yeah, you know, that's it. So, I mean, I can't say I'm surprised that there is an entire uh, sub community of people, (laughs) you know, who, uh, who are shipping Kirk and Spock, but I mean, Mm -hmm. what, what exactly do you 
call that pairing? Do you call it Spurk? Do you call it Cock? What? <laughs> you know what? I don't know. Spurk sounds about right. I don't think anybody has ever really said what they would call that. It's just been K slash S over the years that I've seen it brought up in fandom. <laughs> All right. So, but yeah, but that's anyway, that's, we can go probably farther with that, but sure. that's, that's really, that's just where my concerns are with bringing Kirk in. As long as it's done right and they honor the character, I have no problems with it. Right. Exactly. So uh, on that note, let's, let's kind of move away from uh, a hot button topic here and yes. move on to something that's a little more innocent. Let's talk about toys. <laughs> all right. Uh, Chris, I know you're really, really excited for some toy news uh, related to Star Trek. So why don't you take us away? Oh, yes. So Playmates Toys is, has got the license for Star Trek figures again after I believe in, it was in the year 99 or 2000 when they ended up losing the license. So it was announced back in January, the different figures that are going to be coming out. So there are going to be eight action figures that are going to be coming out. They're going to have two Star Trek Discovery figures, one of Saru and one of Michael Burnham. They are going to be in their first and second season uniforms. Uh, let's see. We also have Star Trek The Next Generation figures coming back out. They are going to be Captain Picard, Commander Riker, and Lieutenant Commander Data in, in their Next Generation uniforms. And then we are also going to have Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan figures coming out for perfect timing, the 40th anniversary of Star Trek II The Wrath of Khan. So you're going to have Admiral Kirk, Captain Spock, and Khan himself. So what I'm really excited about is. We're finally going to have some Star Trek Discovery figures coming. I, I know there have been some other toys sprinkled in here and there, but I think this is going to be the first time we actually have some affordable figures that people can actually handle and actually maybe play with or display, whatever they want to do with them. And in terms of the original series and next generation figures that are coming out, yes, we have original versions of them from back in the 90s, but these are new sculpts uh, and some new looks. They're articulated one one fourteenth, I believe, or fourteen points of articulation. I think it, they said it was, which is impressive. Yes, so it's 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 going to be very nice, and they also have their little stands again for the figures again, which is really nice. Um, that's one thing I loved about the Playmates figures is that they had those solid stands that they were able to actually stand on. Personally, when I used to play with them as a kid, I would pretend that they would go on away team missions, and those were their hoverboards that they would get around <laughs> on. Yeah, so always played it that way. Nice. Um, so I'm looking forward to bringing them into my collection. Um, the only figure that seems to look kind of weird to me is the Data figure. He kind of looks like, I don't know if you remember the episode Data Lore in the first season of The Next Generation, but they had a, a mm -hmm. uh, they had a body double that they had to use while Brent Spiner was playing one character. And he always, if you look when he's coming out of the turbo lift, they see the back of the guy's head. You can clearly tell it's not Brent Spiner. And the figure kind of reminds me of that guy, because I've seen the other pictures of the guy's face and he the figure looks more like that body that stunt body double than it does brent spiner other than that i have no problems with any of these figures i think they look great um ironically the very first figure i'm going to buy from this series will be lieutenant commander data and the reason for that is is when my mom bought the first set of figures when she was working at hills all those many years ago that was my first figure. So I figured with this new selection, I got to continue that tradition. For sure. So yeah. data will be my first. Um, they're also, yeah, they're also making a light up uh, USS Enterprise, just like they did back in the 90s. But it's a new new mold of it. And it'll actually have sayings from the show this time, not just um, uh, the sounds of the right. ship. And it looks fine to me. Some fans were complaining it looks like a dollar store version of the Enterprise. I don't see why people are saying that. It looks perfectly fine. They're also making a original series phaser prop like they did back in the 90s. That'll, that looks really good. I saw the pictures of that. It looks perfectly fine. So these figures are supposed to be coming out probably sometime later here in the fall of 2022. But they're available for pre-order right now. I believe the figures are $15.99 a piece on Entertainment Earth. So those are going to be fun to look forward to. We also got some word that Star Trek Prodigy is going to be having its first line of uh, figures for yes, the show. Yes. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head which figures they are. I think I don't think Rock Talk is, is in the first lineup, but I think everybody else is, including Murph. I think it's the doll figure that comes out with 
with Murph. Mm-hmm. Those yeah. all those won't be out until I believe was it early twenty twenty three, and then as the, that year progresses, then they're going to have more role play accessories and the ship itself, the Protostar, coming out. So. I'm excited. I can't wait to start seeing these these Star Trek back in the toy stores rather than just being in like comic book stores sure. being high priced. Yeah. You know, what are your thoughts? I mean, I I for one, I don't need any more toys in my life. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> as much as I got to say, I would love to start collecting the, the new mm-hmm. Playmates line and the new uh, figures that we're getting for Star Trek Prodigy. I just I, I probably won't be picking them up. Um it just because of a lack of space and mm-hmm. you know but hey uh, i'm just happy that that playmates is you know has the uh the toy license again for star trek they are among the most sought after uh star trek collectibles because of mm-hmm. how big they were in the 90s i mean i would mm-hmm. almost venture to say that they were almost as big as the star trek mego figures which were big in the 70s absolutely um, uh but you know of course updated and and much more articulate and such um i i like how uh, uh playmates is preserving the style and and the packaging that they uh initially had in the 90s with the new mm-hmm. stuff the uh the, the display stand is really cool you know they could have easily just uh gone with modern figure uh packaging uh styles and and omitted that um Mm -hmm. but they're updating the line with the the new toy technology and more articulation while keeping the things that people loved about them uh in the 90s which is fantastic and if you want a complete uh, breakdown of the history of star trek toys uh go back to our episode number three that we did uh and and we'll go over much more in depth the history of both uh toy lines and and their respective uh effect on pop culture uh and chris i believe you might have uh a a deep breakdown on your own little project is that correct yes so i have a youtube channel uh called pittsburgh's trek chat i have an episode that i'm going to be filming very soon discussing the current the new star trek action figures and accessories and ships that are going to be coming out so just keep an eye out for that um you can just go to youtube type in pittsburgh's trek chat and it'll take you directly to my channel excellent excellent all right so the last bit of notable news that we've got since our last episode is something that you know i've personally been waiting for since they announced the limited series uh and that's the very first trailer for obi-wan kenobi on disney plus now Mm -hmm. the show premieres of course on may 25th which uh to to fans uh, is the premiere date of the very first Star Wars movie uh, on May 25th in 1977. Uh, so <clears throat> we get uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi on the true Star Wars day, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, so we get a two minute, uh, roughly a two minute trailer. Uh, so we see Obi-Wan riding on and then leading his uh, EOP creature through a town on Tatooine, which was a pretty cool callback to uh, how we saw obi-wan last in episode three uh you know we hear uh, a, a a defeated obi-wan saying about how the jedi lost the war uh and and that it's over uh and we see that as he's looking in on young luke from afar you know we we hear the the the, the iconic duel of the fates song come crashing into the trailer just as we see here the voiceover shift from Obi-Wan to the voice of the Grand Inquisitor, which I thought was a brilliant way to segue. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and the Grand Inquisitor is talking about how the, the key to hunting Jedi is to just be patient and, and that they cannot resist the urge to help somebody in need. And that's how they're going to uh, strategize to, to uh, complete their mission, to take out the Jedi and, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, sympathizers. Um, against the empire uh, you know we we see um we get our first look in live action at the fortress inquisitorius which is an underwater fortified base that the inquisitors use uh we get some pretty tense sequences on some sort of planet that's like glowing with neon kind of reminds me of vegas a little bit or times square with all the neon that's abound mm-hmm. um we see some action sequences involving a new inquisitor we see uh we then uh kind of see that uh, the Grand Inquisitor is planning to draw out the Jedi uh, on this planet uh, as he's interrogating people. Then we we cut back to Obi-Wan. We see Obi-Wan 
what we think may be Obi-Wan. Maybe he responds and, and leaves Tatooine uh, to take on the Inquisitors. It, I, it, they didn't show the person's face, so you can only assume it was Obi-Wan. Um, uh, and then uh, like the, the, the scene changes right after we see what we think is Obi-Wan. The scene changes to showing us Obi-Wan's face, and it's bearded, and he's starting to get the gray in the beard and starting to really uh, begin his transformation to what Alec Guinness looked like in A New Hope. But that scene of Obi-Wan is is definitely on Tatooine. So we never mm-hmm. we don't get our answer. Is that Obi-Wan uh, on the neon planet, or is it mm-hmm. is it somebody else? We don't know. Um, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a fantastic trailer. It shows us the major players, but it doesn't tell us a darn thing about the plot of the show and how everything fits together. I, I loved seeing the Fortress Inquisitorious make its live action debut. Uh, and Chris, I know you're not a gamer, but the, the first mm-hmm. place we saw the Fortress Inquisitorious is uh, or was in uh, Jedi Fallen Order, the video game that came out a few years ago. Um, okay. So it, it's finally in live action, which is awesome. Uh, nice. So what did you think of the trailer? <clears throat> Oh, definitely got me excited for this show. This is the one show that I've been wanting for many, many years. I've always wondered what's happened in between those years with Obi-Wan Kenobi. I always assumed that he just kind of sat on the planet and did a whole bunch of nothing, really, just kind of watching Luke from afar. Now we're actually going to see that filled in, and we're going to sure. see you know who he interacted with. That you know, Obviously, he's going to have some sort of issues and encounters with the Inquisitors. Um, the Grand Inquisitor, definitely, he's, we definitely know he's going to be interacting with Luke. I noticed that on the internet, they, they, they talked about they actually did cast a, a, a young Luke Skywalker. I was, when I first saw the trailer, I thought that maybe they just kind of had a little kid there just for a brief scene. Mm-hmm. But it sounds like if they really cast somebody, that there's going to be some sort of interaction, which, which was interesting to me because I thought when, Luke and Obi-Wan first saw each other in episode four. That was their first meeting. Maybe it still was. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what brings them together. And, you know, I'm also wondering about the interaction with Obi-Wan and the Lars family. Uh, Owen seemed kind of angry toward Obi-Wan or, or some, some sort of like, he just wanted nothing really to do with him or he didn't want Luke to know anything about him during episode four. I just want to see if there was some sort of tension that actually happened or if he just wanted to shield Luke from Obi-Wan's history just mm-hmm. to protect Luke, you know, um, the neon planet that you're talking about, I actually thought that was Coruscant, to be honest. I, I thought that maybe they were in the lower levels. Right. It is not Coruscant. It is definitely a new okay. planet because uh, the day, the same day that we got the trailer, earlier in the day, we got an article from uh, Entertainment Weekly uh, okay. uh, uh, detailing some of the stuff that we see in the show. And they confirmed it's a new planet. And uh, I Unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of the planet. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm sure they'll discuss it in the show, and uh, I'm not going to take time to, to look it up. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it's it's a new planet to Star Wars. Well, that's excellent. Okay, that, uh, I'll definitely be interested in seeing what that's all about. Yeah, I thought it was the underworld of Coruscant. <laughs> okay, <laughs> anyway, that's good. Um, the Grand Inquisitor, uh, it was great seeing him again. Looks a little different than he did in the in Star Wars Rebels. A little bit fuller in the face. I, I mean, I can't really fault them for that. I mean, it's hard taking you know casting a real life person you know on a computer generated character. You know, it it was it, it kind of reminded me. It made me feel a little bit like what I did when uh, Rosario Dawson was cast as Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. I had never put the two and two together, but as I watched her performance in The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett, I'm fr- it was fine. Yeah, she I had no issue with fine. it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. It just wasn't what I was visualizing when the character we remember her from animation. Right. It just seemed yeah. So it it was fine. I don't think it's going to be an issue at all. I just think it's just going to take people a little bit of time to get used to that. Exactly. The only thing I am not happy about with this is that the show's only six episodes. Give me more. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree. I want to see more, but the thing is, if if they're able to tell a a compelling story from beginning to end in mm-hmm. six episodes, hey, I'm all for it. Uh, you know, Book of Boba Fett, we got seven episodes, and really only mm-hmm. five of those seven actually dealt directly with Boba Fett. So that's true. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I mean. 
again, if you if you're going to be if you know that the story you want to tell can be done mm-hmm. in X number of time, why why stretch it out? Why make it longer than it has to be? Mm-hmm. Just keep it to the point. I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, maybe. I mean, maybe you're right about that in, in that point. Maybe quality versus quantity. Yeah. Yeah. I'm. I'm hoping that's the way they <laughs> that it, it you know works out at least. Yeah. Um, I mean, if they if it's leaving us wanting more, then we know they did a really good job. Exactly. And I I am so stoked that you and McGregor and Hayden Christensen are back for this. Right. And you know, we barely even got any uh indication of darth vader or or anakin's presence we got the we got mm-hmm. the, that very quick breath uh, you know uh playing over the title card and uh, yes. and that was it mm-hmm. so nice little tease but <laughs> of course yeah. leaves you wanting more exactly now did i see vader's castle on mustafar and that as well no you saw what you saw was the fortress inquisitorious is that what that yes. was okay yes. okay yes okay because most of that is underwater um, which which fits with how they introduce it in the game. It's it's an underwater fortress. Okay, okay. I'm gonna check that out again because I really thought that was Vader's castle. All right, shows how much my my uh, knowledge of Star Wars is more limited than Star Trek. Hey, Definitely. That's all right. That's why we make a great team, isn't it? You, you got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. So on that note, uh, we're getting into rambling territory. So let's move yes. on. Let's move into our feature discussion here. Don't get technical with me. Watch it. It is the beginning of wisdom, Polaris, not the end. The Jedi uses the Force for knowledge and defense. Um, so I think it's safe to say we're both excited about Kenobi. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've we've pretty much made our our, our feelings well known on that at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so just kind of uh, want to segue into our discussion for the episode, which uh, we're going to be talking about. Uh, the final episode of the book of Boba Fett that we saw way back in February. So mm-hmm. uh, I know it's been a while. I've only watched it once. Chris, I know you've only watched it once. I'm not sure mm-hmm. about our audience if they've watched it more frequently, but you know, it's been a month. So let's go over a quick refresher. So the, the episode opens, we get confirmation that Boba and his team are committed to ending the spice trade on Tatooine, which means they're taking the fight to the Pikes. Um, we focus for a bit on the Pikes and Cad Bane uh, Cad Bane assures the syndicate that the residents of Freetown won't be joining Boba Fett in the fight because of what he's done to, to prevent that. Uh, the Pikes confirmed that it was they who slaughtered the Tuscan tribe that Boba became an honorary member of. Uh, they they in turn framed it on the Swoop Bite gang, which got Boba to go take them out. Uh, and that left the Pike Syndicate free and clear of having to pay protection money. Uh, so, you know, I got the answer that I was hoping for, or I got the answer uh, to my question from our last episode, but it wasn't the answer that I was hoping for. Uh, okay. Unfortunately, because, you know, I wanted to see that it was uh, actually Cad Bane who um, killed them and that I would give Boba his uh, motivation to kill, uh, to kill Cad Bane. But mm-hmm. unfortunately, it played out a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we get the arrival of Grogu and Luke's X-Wing. R2's in the astromech slot. Uh, it lands at Pelimato's garage. She looks, she sees Grogu, sees that he's wearing the uh, Beskar chainmail armor, which was adorable. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, and that was awesome. Uh, so we get a quick, you know, just a quick look in at Grogu and where he is in the, in the situation. Uh, we then learn that uh, Fennec and Boba have a plan to guard key areas of Mos Espa and, Fort- and areas that they kind of have a little bit more control over. So the mods have a, an area to patrol. Black Kersantan has an area. The Gamorrean guards are dispatched. Uh, they're relying on the residents of Freetown to kind of fill in any gaps where they're weak. Uh, but, you know, that's when things start to go badly for, for Fennec and, and Boba and, and Din and everyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cad Bane arrives to spoil the plans. He confesses that he was the one that attacked Cobb Vanth and the citizens of Freetown. Uh, Bane antagonizes Fett. And, you know, basically things start to go terribly. Uh, You know, we see uh, the the mods uh, have the people of the town turn against them. Black Crescentin has the Trandoshans turn against him because they've fallen or they're sleeping uh, with the enemy, you know, that they said they Mm -hmm. wouldn't. Uh, And then, of course, the Gamorrean guards are pushed off a cliff to their death. So, you know, things are not going too well for our heroes. so Fett kind of has a plan. It involves the uh, mayor's pr- former major major domo going out to 
uh, try and uh, discuss terms with the Pikes. Uh, but Boba just uses that as a ploy to buy time so that they can get into position and begin the attack. Uh, okay, again, things go wrong. The, the Pikes dispatch those Scorpionek droids that are shielded. Uh, our, our friends are, uh, you know, Din and everybody, they're trying to make sure that they don't uh, die, you know, so right. they're, they're more, uh, you know, focused not on uh, trying to attack, but trying to uh, keep themselves alive. Uh, Boba comes in like a hero on the Rancor, fulfilling a promise that he said he was going to do back in episode three and ride the Rancor. Uh, he mm-hmm. uses that to save the day. So we get our uh, references and tribute to King Kong and Godzilla and, and all that motion capture work that came before mm-hmm. us, which was fun to see but looked a little clunky if i'm being honest mm-hmm. hey you know it the it was meant to be a tribute not meant to be taken seriously as um you know as, as anything other than fantastical right mm-hmm. right um so yeah uh basically the rancor comes to the rescue he helps defeat the the shielded droids uh Boba, Boba then, you know, once he's satisfied and the pikes have retreated, Boba dismounts and uh, he is faced uh, one-on-one with Bane. Uh, Cad Bane, of course, seems to have the upper hand at first, being the faster draw. Uh, so he's able to get uh, the, the better of Boba. But I, Cad Bane, of course, gets too confident. He doesn't realize that Boba's has a secret uh you know with his time during you know uh, during his time with the tuscans where he learned uh, how to use his gaffy stick and he uses that to his advantage to uh sweep the leg and and get mm-hmm. uh, bane uh from standing on top of him before he uses the other end of the uh, you know, before he uses the pointy end of the gaffy stick to uh impale um to impale Cad Bane uh, for now, assuming that he's dead. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of a, a brief overview. Well, maybe not so brief, but an overview of the finale of the Book of Boba Fett. I've been mm-hmm. talking for a while. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell me what you thought uh, after watching it? Uh, it wasn't too bad. I did like watching the strength of Fennec Shan taking out the Pike Syndicate leadership. Um, it's nice having a really another additional strong female uh, character in the Star Wars franchise. Um, even if she was out systematically murdering people, <laughs> it's still, she's still, you know, she still she stands very strong for what she believes in, and she doesn't take any guff from anybody. Sure, you know, she did what she felt she needed to do to protect her and Boba and Moss Espa and to end the the spice run. So I thought that that was really good. It was very interesting seeing that Grogu um, actually sided with the Mandalorian. Instead of going and being a Jedi, he had that little metal vest on that that uh, the Mandalorian had made for him. Mm-hmm. My thought is, how's that going to affect the Mandalorian going forward? Because at the end of the season two, obviously he went to be to go and be a Jedi. Now we have this little blip inside of Book of Boba Fett, which changes that. So now it kind of shifts what's going to happen in season three. You know, big question mark now. Yes and uh, no. How, yeah. You don't, you don't think? What do you think? So uh, I'm thinking uh, that, you know, at the end of uh, that episode of The Mandalorian, you know, we had Luke present Grogu with the choice. And of course, we're left right. with the, the choice as a cliffhanger. But right. it's the same exact thing that Luke did in Empire Strikes Back. He left training mm-hmm. to help out his friends because he right. knew his friends were in danger. He sensed that his friends mm-hmm. were in danger. And the fact that Luke gave him the choice between continuing his training and going to help Din and friends, I think Luke already knew the choice was made because okay. of what he himself did mm-hmm. at the end of uh, Empire Strikes Back. Okay. So. Do you do you think that Grogu then is going to go back to resume his Jedi training? I think so. I, 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 I think he'll get some sort of continued training, but I, I do think that we are going to find that he wasn't on uh, the, the planet where Luke had his Jedi Academy. I think we're going to find that his training is complete before that actually happens. Uh, okay. So I don't know. We'll see. 
And uh, anyway, I, I entered, I interrupted you in the middle of, of your thoughts. So did you have anything, uh, what else did you want to add to the discussion? Uh, not really much else. I was, I was with you too. I mean, it was interesting, an interesting watch. Um, I did like watching Boba riding the Rancor throughout the town. I thought that was kind of neat. And I agree with you. It did. A lot of that did feel like the, uh, what was it? Uh, Godzilla Mm -hmm. and, uh, King Kong, yeah. those kind of things. Yeah, I felt the same way. Uh, I also liked the part where Grogu actually laid down next to him and, and kind of slept, kind of reminded me of when my cats were sleeping right. with me, even when I'm angry with them. Um, I have to rewatch the episode another time to kind of get some more thoughts. Yeah. But uh, it, I mean, it, it was okay. It was an okay finale. Um, the, the, the ending, the, the post credit scene of Cobb Vanth in the back to tank that kind of surprised me for a little bit because really I thought I didn't think he died at the end of the, the previous episode when Cad Bane shot him. It, it was clear that he got shot in the shoulder. It didn't look like he got shot in the heart or anything. So I was surprised that people seemed to think that he was dead. Yeah. You know um, what did surprise me though, is that he looks like he's going to be getting enhanced with the cybernetics. And so I'm very curious to see what that's going to bring sure. into Mandalorian and Boba Fett moving forward. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <clears throat> I knew that he wasn't dead because of where he got shot. I, I think the right. audience knew, but I don't know if Cad Bane actually stayed around to uh, mm-hmm. ensure that he was dead because that, yeah. that just, I think that just kind of reeks of Cad Bane's overconfidence in, in, in himself. Yeah. Uh, the fact mm-hmm. that he didn't stick around to finish the job and he was, uh, he thought that it was taken care of. Right. So, which, which of course led to Cad Bane's downfall. Um, right. Yeah. It, you know, uh, Boba was, you know, or rather Cad Bane was taking moments and, and opportunities to tell Boba how he'd gone soft in his old age. I, I think the same thing was happening to Cad Bane. He was just too stubborn to realize it. Right. But uh, yeah. I'm also wondering too, if Cad Bane is actually dead. Uh, yeah. You know, they had the lights flashing in that mm-hmm. scene uh, at the very end after the he was impaled. So who knows? I think mm-hmm. that it's intentionally designed to let us think that, that there's hope, but who knows? Yeah. Yeah, you never know. It, it, no matter what franchise it is, they find a way to surprise you in the end with resurrecting characters that you thought were dead. So, hey, sure, sure. you know, it'd be a surprise. All right. So, yeah, uh, lukewarm on the finale. There were some cool moments. There were some fun moments. There were some fun... Uh, predictions for what might happen in the future with these characters but overall mm-hmm. meh it was okay yeah anyway Agreed. so uh let's move on to something that chris and i are both extremely excited uh about and and is so far is meeting and exceeding our expectations for uh how we thought it was going to go and that is the uh the two episode premiere i guess of uh mm-hmm. of star trek picard season two so mm-hmm. Chris, I'm going to let you lead the discussion on this and and tell us your thoughts. Sure. Well, the premiere definitely brought about a totally different feel from in the entire season one of Picard. The first season of Picard was very, very dark, talking about the, the, the synth murdering on Mars and then their ban and Picard leaving Starfleet and being blackballed because he wanted to support the Romulan Romulan evacuation of Romulus to come back, come to the Federation. Everybody was just in really bad spots. Raffi was a drunk. Rios was really upset over the loss of his captain and took shelter in alcohol and commanding the La Serena. Seven to nine was angry over the loss Mm -hmm. of Echeb. You know, just a whole bunch of of darkness in, in season one. So season two opens up and we got two stories going on. We were, we get caught up with all of the main characters except for Narek, he's gone but picard's doing great in his new golem body at the chateau he and laris actually seem to be having some sort of emotional romantic mm-hmm. connection with each other since zaban her husband died um seven and nine is back with the fenris rangers um doing positive for everybody in the galaxy that she feels she needs to do rios is now a captain of the the, the brand new uss stargazer Raffi's back in Starfleet with her full being a commander again. Um, Elnor is the first Romulan cadet 
in Starfleet. He's doing great. Um, Soji is going around the Federation talking about the synths and getting people back on board with accepting them. The only character who seems to be miserable is Dr. Jurati. Um, <laughs> she's she's <laughs> in that bar on Rarity yeah. 4. You know, she's getting drunk. Um, the one Delton's hitting on her and she's talking about, well, yes, I got off for murdering my boyfriend because of mind male manipulation. <laughs> um, but my relationship with Rios went sour. Um, so, but other than that, everybody's doing really well. But the, the main crux of the story is there's some sort of anomaly. Go figure an anomaly in Star Trek that just pops <laughs> up, you know, um, that, that's aff affecting an area of space. Um, Rios gets sent out there to investigate. It looks like they, they pick up a transmission uh, that uh, it's in multiple languages. It's saying, help us Picard. Um, Rios asks for the help of Dr. Gerardi, even though they're not in a relationship anymore. Um, she helped decipher what that said. So while Picard is talking, thinking about his love life and why he never got <laughs> into a long-term relationship, um, even seeking Guinan out about that and kind of thinking about the relationship between his mother and father. I guess there was possibly some sort of abuse that was going on. Mm -hmm. It was hinted at. Um, so he ends up going with a fleet. They meet Rios out there. It turns out some sort of new Borg ship comes through. Right. Um, it looks like the Borg are basically asking for to uh, some help from Picard and from the Federation. Obviously seven to nine is really against this and is surprised that Picard is even kind of considering trying to help them. Um, so the Borg queen comes through, um, she beams aboard the stargazer. And I guess this new stargazer is equipped with some sort of Borg technology that was adapted from the Borg artifact from season one. Um, she taps into the ship, which causes her to be able to take control of the whole fleet um, so Picard orders auto destruct and right as the, the fleet's about to explode, the Borg queen looks at Picard and says, look up, which was the same thing that his mother had said to him earlier in the episode in his memory. Mm -hmm. Um, he then wakes up after the fleet apparently blows up. He's in his chateau, but things have drastically changed sure. <laughs> just um, a little bit, <laughs> just a tiny little bit. He's got this synth named Harvey. That's, that's talking to him and all of a sudden Q pops up and says that the trial never ended. And that's basically where it ended. Sure. So then we lead into episode two, where we find out that the Romulans are now slaves in what is now the Confederation of planets. Mm -hmm. um, he is a general of this, I guess, authoritarian dystopian, uh, future where it's very human centric. Um, this confederation of planets um, is very focused on basically the good of humanity and everybody else is to be subjugated. They're not as important. Um, it's basically see. like the empire in star Wars almost basically. Exactly. Yes. Um, and then we find just like in the first episode where we were re reintroduced to all the characters were reintroduced into the, all the characters again, um, just in a different way with this confederation. Mm -hmm. We find out Seven and Nine is actually now just Annika Hansen without her Borg implants. Right. Um, she's the president and she's married to some magistrate of the security forces. Um, Rios is a, I believe he's a colonel and he's on board the La Serena, but it's a fleet of similar ships that are actually fighting the Vulcans and bombing Vulcan. Right. Um, we find out Elnor is with... I guess some Romulan dissidents and they bombed a building in Okinawa um, as retaliation for all the, I guess the bad that the Confederation has done against multiple species, the Andorians, the Vulcans, the Romulans can't remember if there was anybody else. Um, Raffi is part of the security force. Um, and uh, she actually protects Elnor at that point. And, uh, and then Dr. Gerardi is working in some sort of, I guess, cell block, uh, and and they, there's a Borg queen that's actually been caught by the Confederation. Yeah, it's like she's almost like a prison warden, but all you know, all the prisoners are kept in like stasis fields or something. Exactly, exactly. And it sounds like the Confederation beat the Borg, and it looks like the Borg queen is actually due mm -hmm. to be executed publicly. Going back to that, back to the beginning of the episode. So Picard's trying to figure out what's going on. Obviously, Q said Q seems really dark in the, in this situation. He he actually slaps Picard in the face at one point, <laughs> and he actually says that this is not a trial for Picard. This is 
a penance. Uh, I don't know what that means yet. Um, yeah, that was we'll really weird to me. That was it. What does uh, Picard have to atone for in the eyes of Q? Exactly, and it obvi- and there's obviously there's been a gap in time that they since they've seen each other, probably all the way back to all good things, sure. because there was nothing they they brought up that had gone on in between. So it's interesting. To, it'll be interesting to see what Q has up his sleeve in this one. But also, is is something happening with Q? Q or Picard kind of hints mm-hmm. that, that their Q is not acting like Q, and that he almost seems ill, like mentally ill and unstable. So it it makes you wonder: is, is can Q in the Q continuum actually can they get sick, or are they immortal like we've always been thought to believe? You know, so. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, you figure we've never been definitively told that that Q are immortal. We're just led to believe right. that they are by Q. So, if, you know, yes. it's one sided. So we know we know nothing about the human race where Q knows everything about Picard and uh, his his, uh, you know, and his history and his involvement with everything. Right. What I thought was interesting about episode two was, is that we found out that it, Q didn't take all these characters and put them in an alternate timeline. Picard himself figured out that it, it is their timeline, mm-hmm. but that it was a small change that was made that changed everything. Um, it wasn't some big event. And it's actually kind of interesting because Q mentioned that yesterday's Enterprise is kind of like a nod to the episode from Next Generation and in that episode, there was only one slight change that changed everything as well. You know, so, right. it, you know, just with the Enterprise C coming back, just that one incident, everything happened. Um, I So we found out from the Boar Queen, which was really cool, I thought, by the way, we learned something new about the Boar Queen. It's like, kind of like Guinan, where Guinan can kind of sift through alternate timelines. So can the Boar Queen. Right. So she noticed that there was that change. And she was able to pinpoint that there was one small change in Los Angeles in 2024 and to that they have to go back and fix this. But they also have to seek the help of somebody called the Watcher. I'm wondering who that is and what role that person is going to be playing in the story. Um, So I'm really, really excited about this season. What I liked about these first two episodes is that they don't they're setting up what's going to be happening in the rest of the the rest of the season. We're not really going to be living in the wonderful early 25th century that we saw in episode one. And we're not going to be stuck in this autocratic, horrible, dark universe that we saw in episode two. We'll probably see a little bit of it in episode three. And then it's going to take place in, in our, in the past, possibly near our present. Sure. Sure. Yeah. I I think you're right. I I think it's, uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, episode three is just going to have a brief uh, resolution of the cliffhanger from episode two, where you right. know, where uh, Annika Hansen's husband uh, and and other security forces of the Confederation uh, beam on on board the La Serena and uh, have them all kind of surrounded at at uh, Phaser Point. Right. Yeah, I agree with you. And what I'm really enjoying about season two of Picard is it finally feels like Star Trek. Episode one felt it felt like there was finally some optimism from what had happened in season one. You know, Picard's now chancellor of the Academy. Raffi's got her commission back. Elnor's the first Romulan cadet. Everybody just Rios was back on board a Federation ship mm-hmm. and he was the captain. You know, everything just finally felt positive. We were back on board a starship, which was really nice. And boy, were the sets beautiful. And they, they look yes. perfect. They look like a, a perfect. It, they still had the L cars technology from the 24th century, but upgraded. Yeah. So it, it feels like it's supposed to fit where it's supposed to fit. And I haven't seen that in a long time. And that does that warmed me. Yeah, and to, I, I to feel like that. the look of the La Serena. It's very, very stripped down. It, it, like the bridge doesn't feel like a, a, a Federation bridge. Right, exactly. Or not, but the, yeah, it, it is the La Serena. Yeah. Right, right. But the, the Stargazer felt like right. finally we're, we're a Federation ship. We're back on board a ship again. It, it was just, I loved it. Yeah. And then episode two, even though it was super dark, by the way, the writers did a great job with that because I felt like I was like, what's the word i guess shook during it how dark they actually they wrote it and how the actors all of them the regulars and the guests played these roles you know it it felt real and very intense um so and it felt very much like a lot of the alternate reality episodes we've gotten in previous star treks and how they, they the crew has to figure out 
what the change was and how are we going to repair the timeline? It was typical Star Trek again, um, yeah. just with it a really, really dark <laughs> bend this time around. Yeah. And, and th- that's the thing, you know, you know, we see anomalies and, and weird stuff happen and, and pop up all the time in Star Trek. It's, it's not right. about the anomaly itself. It's about what the anomaly does that leads to, uh, exactly. uh you know, becoming invested in, in the plot and, and what, right. what's going on. Right. And, and then ultimately we're going to figure Picard's going to probably learn some sort of lesson from this, just like he did with um, the change in the timeline and all good things. Sure. Um, the one thing that I'm just curious about right now is, is the season at the end, is it all going to just reset like it didn't happen? I'm really hoping not. Right. <laughs> I, I'd really, I'd like to see them continue on from here, specifically because of the, the whole Borg thing from episode one. We actually... It was a nice tie into the finale of Voyager where they talked about the Borg, the collective being decimated. Um, I really want to see that, what that de- what changed with the Borg from that decimation. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's even going to be played out, but I, I'd like I'd like to kind of pick up from that and see what goes on. Also, why was the Borg queen in in cloak the way she was? It was just it was very. Dr. Gerardi said that she said that was very different, you know, <laughs> but I was wondering why I, I, you know, Star Trek ha- always has little twists and turns. And I, part of me was wondering if this Borg queen is actually his mother, Picard's mother. I don't know where that came from. Just the fact maybe that they had her in the episode briefly yeah. and they never did explain how his mother had died, sure. you know, so they could take that little nugget and be like, Oh, okay. She disappeared at some point in his life. And, Something happened. I don't know. Right, um, right. Just that's a little the- little theory. Yeah, that's an interesting possibility, an interesting twist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm uh, yeah. That I'd like to see if that plays out. I, I, I you know I can't wait to see how the rest of the season plays out. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to see more Q. I hope we get more. Q. Yes. Um, I, I, I yes. hope he pops in at random points in time during the next several episodes while they're back in 2024 so yes he actually will because if i don't know if you watched the 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 preview for the season but there is a point where um q is actually talking to brent spiner's song character Mm, um who actually slightly appeared in episode two um he was talking i can't remember what he was saying um but right before the ceremony where there picard was supposed to kill the queen um, there was a song character in hologram actually talking about something about the, the Confederation. Gotcha. Um, so he's pl- going to play some sort of role and Q has a, has a, a speaking role with him. Okay. So okay. we will see something. Yeah. I, I missed that in the trailer, obviously. Mm-hmm. So no big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, suffice it to say, you know, I think it, this just affirms that you and I are both extremely excited about Picard season two and the direction it's yes. going. Uh, we're invested completely. Um, yeah, I, I, whew, I can't wait. <laughs> I know, I know. Two more days, to, or actually tomorrow. Tomorrow's the next episode. Can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay, on that note, I think it's time to wrap up our discussion for episode 15 of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. Uh, I just want to take a few moments here to really, truly thank everyone who listens to the show. So uh, there are many of you who've been listening since episode one, and and we, uh, Chris and I, are deeply grateful that you've stuck with us this far on the journey. Uh, and, and for Absolutely. And for anyone that's discovered our show because of our involvement in Star Wars Podcast Day for the past two years, we thank you for your continued support and and continuing to listen as well. Uh, I really want to help us grow this podcast and and find more people who are fans of both Star Wars and Star Trek and and would find uh, listening to our show uh, every time fun. You as our audience can really help make that happen. Uh, we want you to engage mm-hmm. with Chris and I on social media. We want to hear from you. Email us with your thoughts, questions, anything, and we'll answer them on the show. Uh, info for how to reach out to us engage with, and engage with us is, is attached to the show notes for every episode. And uh, also, if you're listening to us on a platform like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, you can go even further and you can give us a star rating or review. Uh, if, if you're li- listening on Apple Podcasts, Give us a review in addition to a star rating, and uh, we would greatly appreciate either or both to help the show grow. You can Mm -hmm. also help us by sharing this and every episode on your social media platforms of choice. Many podcast apps actually have a share button built right into uh, them to make getting the word out easier. And uh, also, if you are so kind to leave us a five-star written review, we'll read it on the show and recognize you on air. So uh, for myself and Chris, again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this episode of Captain's Logs and Lightsabers. 
may the force be with you. And live long and prosper. <laughs>